Jefferson's book for me. No, they're not Jefferson. Big top, a little bit slanted, but lots of space. Yeah, but so I mean, stand at That'd be lucky in knowledge, too. This is going to be the nicest lectern in like four counties. Everybody's going to want to borrow it. And, and put it on a vacuum so he can... We'll run it out for five dollars. Put a shredder. Get him a shredder. Well, that sermon not went any good. That's all right. What time is it? It's about seven o'clock. Okay, Bob, are we ready? All right. Well, uh, welcome to those of you who are here this evening for Read the Readings, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Thank you also to those who are listening on the podcast and live streaming. And we pray that your time here is a blessed one as we dive into God's Word tonight. Let's jump in. Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Now, if you are a follower of the lectionary, you will notice that I altered the Amos text just a little bit. The text that the lectionary has is Amos 7, 1 through, 1 through 9, I think. But I, but I changed it and I did the second half of chapter 7 because it's uh, um, part of the half of the sermon text for Sunday. All right, so Amos 7, 10 through 17, one of the minor prophets there, kind of a smaller book. Amos 7, 10 through 17. Will somebody read 
Start at verse 10, read as much as you would like. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his wounds. For Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive. From their own land. Then Amos said to or Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. But never prophesy again in Bethlehem, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. Okay, so we pick up with 14, please. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel, and therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. All right, so with some background context of what is going on here, God has sent Amos to proclaim judgment to the people of Israel, specifically to, at this time, Israel's king, whose name was Jeroboam. Jeroboam has a priest there uh, at Bethel, as it says there, whose name was Amaziah. If you look at the very first verse, Amaziah, for for all intensive purposes, accuses Amos of treason. And... See, it says there in verse 10 that Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. Whatever it was that Amaziah was saying, and we have that here in the first seven chapters. But there were, he wasn't just speaking a few words of judgment. He was speaking a lot of words. And... Amaziah knows that this is not, is not good for the king to hear because Amaziah wants Jeroboam to continue uh, with idolatry. Specifically, what was he doing? Um, where is it? He was, oh, uh, Jeroboam, king of Israel, who, of course, is only supposed to be worshiping God, is not only is um, leading, is not only worshiping something that is not his God himself, but he is leading his people as king in doing the same thing, specifically the the worship of calves. And so Amos is sent to Israel, to the king, to tell them to stop doing that. And then Amaziah is trying to get Amos to leave, if you read again there in verse 12, then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. 
I was reading in a commentary today that in verse 12, Amaziah chooses his words carefully. Get out, you, you seer. That's meant to be an insult. A seer was somebody who was really just somebody that am- amounted to nothing more than a fortune teller. And so by calling him seer, it was meant as an insult, meant to really just drive him away. Burn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary in the temple of the kingdom. We like the way that we're doing things and we want to keep doing it. And then one final note in, in Amos's response, verse 14. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, which is true. Uh, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. Just a side note again in a commentary that I was reading. There was a tree that produced a, a fig-like fruit that needed to have uh, that needed to be opened up, and insects needed to be taken out of it. And so that was one of the things that that Amos did before he began his prophesying. Okay, what do you notice here? What stands out in these verses ten through seventeen? Maybe from what, maybe the prophecy uh, starting at verse 17. What kind of language does, does God use? Or at least does God use through Amos? Or what is the, uh, maybe a better way to ask that, that question is, what is the tenor of Very God's, harsh. yeah, yeah. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the, by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And not only that, Israel's gonna, Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. Why is that a big deal? Because how long did it take them to finally get there? Long time. Good. Anything else? Uh, what else stands out in this text or anything that you read that you kind of raised an eyebrow at or had a question about? Well, Amaziah sure doesn't care for Amos too much. <laughs> no, no. And in fact, what I, I think I was mentioning to Scott was the legend is is that Amaziah grew so angry with Amos that he beat him to death with a club. And Amos, uh, Amos was no more. It's a, it's a difficult thing becoming God's spokesman. And that's not just for prophets, that's not just for pastors, but that's for all of us. God calls all of us to it's interesting because in scripture Paul has very specific words for Timothy on how a, how somebody who desires to be elder, desires to be overseer should live but if you read that you will notice that in connection to the rest of scripture how Paul tells Timothy that an over that an overseer should conduct his, his life is no different than how any other Christian should conduct their lives. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, here, 
Amos is speaking to the people, you know, you, you are a, you are a, I mean, he doesn't use these words, but it's evident here. You are a called people. You are God's own children. You are called to live a certain way. And as sometimes happened, you know, when, when the people asked for kings, God gave them kings, and some were good, and some, like Jeroboam, were not so good. Specifically, leading the people in idolatrous worship. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's, that's uh, God's way of doing it. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that this particular prophet, too, was a shepherd. You know, that shepherds kind of tend to have a, a lot of, um, there's a lot of characters in Scripture that are shepherds. David, obviously, being one of them. Moses did it for a certain amount of time. God can use whatever means he needs to in order to make, in order to make sure that his will is done, um, including people that most of us might just consider sort of ordinary. Anything else on Amos chapter 7? I think you have to beware of the person who whispers poison in the king's ear. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that happens then and happens today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Amaziah wasn't just, unlike Amos, Amaziah wasn't just anyone. He was a priest. And priests were, were obviously held in very high regard. And this, and this priest wants, wants Jeroboam to continue in this idolatrous worship, probably because he benefits from it. Yep, yep. So he was running out, of, running out of patience here. He's just saying, "I've had enough." As far as as far as God speaking through Amos, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just saying. This is the way it is. No reverse. Yeah. Well, and it, it, you know, God through Amos, going back to sixteen and seventeen, he speaks. He's not just speaking law, but as we've said, he's speaking pretty harsh law. And the law is meant to do one thing. The law is meant to kill. That's what it does. And the reason why the law and the law gospel relationship works in Scripture, in our faith, is because the law's job is to kill. The gospel's job is to make alive. And eventually God will, will give the gospel to his people. He does it throughout not just the prophet Amos, but he does it throughout many of his prophets. However, in the first part, from the first one on, God threatened three times to destroy Israel, and Amos interceded three times, and three times he relented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your, your statement about patience pouring out, I think, was. Yeah, yeah. This is, it. this is what's going to happen. Yep. And it did. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Right. Every right. one of those things happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Yeah. Who was it? My mind isn't working great at, at the moment. Um, who was it that uh, 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 
pleaded with God that he wouldn't destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, wasn't it Lot? Or was it Moses? Was it Lot? I think it was Moses. Well, now I've got myself curious, <laughs> so I'm going to look. It was Lot's wife. Well, Lot's wife, yeah, he, she turned back and turned, turned to salt, which you should never do. And was it, was it Abraham that, that did that? I should, I should know this. Oh, yeah, uh, Genesis 18, Abraham pleads for Sodom. Yeah, so you see here, uh, if, if you want to look it up, Genesis chapter 18, starting at 16. Abraham pleads for Sodom. God is, is so angry with, with what is happening in this city, and Abraham pleads with, with God through this, what I think is kind of this very humorous dialogue. Um, well, what if there's only 40 left? Will you still destroy it? No, no, I won't do it. Well, what if there's only 10 left? We still don't know. No, I won't. So it's, um, we see here that you know, I don't, I don't want to say that I think it's a little bit dangerous to say just on, a, on an outside level that God's mind can be changed, but I think that what can be said is that God has a compassionate heart, especially for his very own. Good? Anything else from Amos? Okay, let's look up Ephesians chapter 1. By the way, Amos is half, I, the two sermon texts are Amos and Mark that we will get to. Um, but, of course, we will read Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Will somebody read? Start at verse 3 there and read as much as you want. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Can somebody pick up with 11 to 14? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who worked all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
which is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, very good. Ephesians 1, 3-14, what stands out? Yeah, that, that whole concept of predestined and predestination, if you're not careful, can be a very confusing one. There's a difference between what many of the Reformed and uh, the Calvinists believe, which is something called double predestination, which means that, and I can remember, I went to a, a Reformed college, and one of my uh, professors was a pastor there in town, and he believed his church taught taught this idea, and the what they say is is that everybody is predestined, and it doesn't matter what you do in this life, where you're going is where you're is where you're going. So that's kind of what is called double predestination, but that's not unfortunately that's a that's a misinterpretation of scripture. But we still sort of have to deal with, I think, this, because Paul not only uses the word predestined here, but he uses it elsewhere. And so, what are we to do with this word? Well, the way that I interpret this word is as we should always try to do in light of what the rest of Scripture says. The Israelites, God's chosen people, were predestined people too. And... Some of them, as we've seen in Amos and as we've seen in a lot of the other prophets, some of them did what God wanted them to do and lived faithfully according to the plan that he had set out for them, and some of them didn't. And the ones who didn't, when they died, they're probably not in heaven. Okay. Uh, and what does that have to do with us? Well, because of Christ... We are all, as Paul, Paul says, there is no longer slave nor free, uh, um, uh, no longer slave nor free, Greek nor uh, Jew, for all are one in Christ. Because of Christ, we are all God's chosen people. You could put it this way, too. Because of Christ, we are all Israelites, in the sense that we are God's chosen people. So are we predestined? Yeah, we are. Does that mean that the rest of the world is? Yeah, I think so. Also, because of what Paul says elsewhere, that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So I don't know how the Reformed can, in light of what the rest of Scripture says, I don't know how they can get this idea that there are some that are just destined for heaven and some that are destined for hell. And the ones that are destined for hell, it doesn't matter what they do. Interestingly, the ones destined for heaven, it doesn't really matter what they do. Bob, please. This might be kind of a weird slant on predestination. Go ahead. I'm thinking that Jesus died for all men, all women, all people. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, we're predestined because of that. Yes. But mm-hmm. God doesn't force us to go that direction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm, it's, it's kind of a different way of looking at predestination. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we're automatically in because right. 
easily reject the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and look on ours. Yeah, yeah. In a sense, we're predestined in that Christ died for all. Right, right, yeah, and that's what I, yeah, that's that's good. That's that's kind of what I am saying here is, is that because of Christ, we are all considered Israelites. Because of Christ, we're all God's chosen people. And, I mean, heck, I mean, even if you wanted to use an, uh, not, a, not a New Testament reference to this, but I'll even use an Old Testament reference to this. The Psalms say that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That includes people. And if that's the case, and it is, then all of us are predestined for heaven. It's just a matter of will we reject the Spirit's gift or not? Good? Anything, uh, anything else or what else in, in Ephesians? Based off of the the opening sentences of, of Paul's letter, would you say that he's in a good mood, bad mood, fair mood? Seems like a good mood. Yeah. Unlike some of the others. Yeah, unlike Galatians, where Paul wastes no time and says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, that's within, I mean, I, I would have, well... It's right there. Um, within the first, what, five verses? Yeah. I am astonished, Galatians 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, um, which is really no gospel at all. And he goes on. So Paul's tenor in this letter is obviously different. Good. Middle part is, you know, my my Bible it breaks these into paragraphs. Mm -hmm. the first part chosen by the Father. The middle part redeemed by the Son. Mm -hmm. The last part sealed by the Spirit. The Good. Trinity, the Trinity is here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. So, you know, and in the middle part he, he uses predestined again. Mm -hmm. But you know, one of the things that Jesus said is, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one mm -hmm. comes to the Father but by me." And mm -hmm. Yep, good. So that, yes, we're all, God wants everyone to be saved, but mm -hmm. only through Jesus Christ. And that's right. what I think what the middle part is talking about. Yeah, good, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a good note there, that in, these, that in this particular text from 3 to 14, the Trinity is present there. Praise be to the God and Father. And he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus. And verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Good. So the Trinity is here. Good. But in verse 9, it, he's made known to a mystery of his according to his pleasure. Mm-hmm. Which he purposed in Christ. In other words, uh, when the time comes, he hopes or reaches their fulfillment to bring things into, into heaven and earth together mm -hmm. under one head. Now, 
does that mean that um, those that have never heard Christ will have still have a chance? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, well, based off of what Scripture says elsewhere, is that God, Christ is not coming back until all of the corners of the earth have, have heard his name. And so, also, that, uh, it's Paul that, that says, um, so that men are, that people are without excuse. So, yeah, I think that there's not, by the time that Christ returns, everybody on, on earth will have heard his that name. A chance to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to verse to verse nine, and he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Don't think too hard. How has he made known the mystery of his will? Again, don't think too hard. Right, but more specifically, the answer to every children's message question. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, we didn't know. We didn't fully know God until Christ came. That's why Christ came, so that he could be fully known. The way that he made known the mystery of, of his will, the mystery was solved, if you will, when, when Christ came. Not just that Christ lived, but that he died, and that he rose again, and that he did everything that the prophets have said about the promised Messiah. It's good that, that Paul mentions that here. Like in most recent news, where you had the boys in the cave. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were led by a monk, mm-hmm. which most likely they're not Christian, mm-hmm. and they don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe um, in this hospital there will be a mission. I don't know. Possibly, yeah. All the more reason why our missionaries are so very crucial. Um, Lutherans in Africa. Uh, you know, missionaries, I mean, I, we have missionaries in so many countries that it's, yeah. it, it's hard to count. And not just Lutherans, but Baptists do and mm-hmm. um, Methodists do and Presbyterians do. Yeah, I would, I would love for the entire world to be Lutheran, but that's not possible. But th- those who have been witnessed to by a Baptist and in faith have received Christ, they'll be in heaven too. And they were actually at the at an age where possibly they would be receptive. Yeah. Hopefully. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting that whenever something really catastrophic happens like that, that people sort of quote unquote find mm-hmm. religion. And what is that that old? Um, military saying there's no atheists in a foxhole <laughs> and uh, hopefully like you said that these you know hopefully somebody there there's uh, somebody that works at the hospital or something um, someone that no, you know, no food mm-hmm. poor quality water mm-hmm. as well as oxygen yep mm-hmm. to me it's pretty much a miracle yeah oh yeah yeah they uh, the way that they describe that cave system I think that we I mean without how many of you have, have ever been caving 
before, like have called on the cake. Yeah. So you, you know, so you there in some parts of these. You know, I can remember going caving once, and there were some offshoots that you could go on, but they recommended not because it was about this big. And yeah, for them to be able to, to get all of them out of there alive and relatively safe is a miracle. Good. Uh, what else from Ephesians? You were saying earlier about um, God the Father was not totally known mm -hmm. to his people until Christ came. Mm -hmm. There's just several part, uh, places in the Bible where Christ says, Mm -hmm. Yep. So, mm -hmm. just... Yeah, well, yeah, that, and also Jesus says in the Gospels, I and the Father are one, right? Good, good. I think in Ephesians, it's always, you, you have the Gentiles and you have the Jews. And the theme all through Ephesians is Paul trying to bring those two together and, and the different mm -hmm. difficulties. And I think mm -hmm. in the first part here, he's talking to the, to the Jews, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. But then he says, so we who were first to hope in Christ might be praised in his glory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a theme all through Ephesians, is the second part here. And you also, when you heard, which is the Gentiles, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with baptism yep, all good. Ephesians. Mm -hmm. So through baptism, they are twelved into Israel. They have become part mm -hmm. of the chosen. Yeah, good. Baptism. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so it's that it's that similar theme from Amos that we kind of talked about. Through our in faith, our reception of Christ, we become God's chosen people, and that happens when we become baptized. That happens when we hear the word of God, uh, maybe for the first time, and. Paul says that faith is created then. And so being sealed by the Spirit means that, yeah, you're predestined too. Good. I like how the Holy Spirit's brought out here that he is the guarantee because he's the one that gives us the faith mm -hmm. and keeps us in the faith. And, and that's why, that's where the guarantee comes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Until we acquire possession of it, until mm -hmm. we're there, right? He's he's still working on us. He's still mm -hmm. working through us, with us, mm -hmm. keep us in that thing. Yeah, and I think that that's something that that if we are ministering to people who are um, older older folks that are perhaps you know nearing this this life's life's end. And I think one of the things that we can minister to them with is that the process of sanctification, that God isn't finished with them, with them yet, even at 95, even at 100, even at 82, whatever it is. God's not finished with them yet, and he's still working in them. And 14 is a, is a, really, is a really good reassuring verse. It, the deposit that God through his spirit made on you is guaranteeing your inheritance. The down payment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put the down good, payment. good. Okay. All right, let's go to Mark, chapter 6. 
If you are, if you like soaps, you like this. It's a little messed up. Mark six, starting at verse fourteen. Mark six fourteen through twenty nine, and somebody start reading at verse fourteen, and read as much as you'd like, and then somebody else will pick up again. Mark six fourteen through twenty nine. Mark six fourteen through twenty nine. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herod's, or Herodias. Is it Herodias? Herodias. Herodias, as his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. Okay, somebody pick up there. For Herod, fearing John, knowing he was just and holy man, he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for the nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced. It pleased Herod and those who sat with him. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So she went and asked, said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, To have John the Baptist. Immediately she came with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse him. But immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in the tomb. All right. Game of Thrones has nothing on Mark chapter 6. So this is the same King, King Herod that was so paranoid about the Messiah coming that he ordered the killing of all of the babies. So that this is the, the same one. The commentary that I read said that Herod was so paranoid that he would get married and then have kids, kill his wife, kill his kids, and this was kind of a re recurring theme. And so what is happening here is that he hears about Jesus and he thinks that Jesus is John the, the, John the Baptist. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and so others claim he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. And then in verse 17, it sort of gives you 
verses 14 through 16 sort of give you present time. 17 through 29 sort of give you what happened in, in the past up until this point. Now, here's where things start, start getting weird. Herod gave orders himself to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. And he did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. John the Baptist, before he died, had spoken out against Herod and said, you can't do that. You can't marry your brother's wife. And Herodias, of course, didn't, didn't like this. Herod didn't like it either, but he had, a, had a, a certain amount of respect for John. And so Herodias, in verse 19, Herodias nurses a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected John. Um, then, verse, then in verse 21, finally the opportune time comes. Herod gives this banquet, and at this banquet, his niece comes in and dances very suggestively for him. And Herod is so enthralled with this girl, his niece that he does something that he actually doesn't have the ability to do, which is to tell her, ask me for anything that you want and I will give it to you up, up, for, up until half of my kingdom. He technically can't do that, but he does it anyway. And the king's, so she goes out and says to her mother, well, what do you want me to ask for? Well, Herodias knows exactly what she wants and she wants John the Baptist killed, and he wants his head on a platter. And that's exactly what she gets. And so what we have here between Amos and Mark, and this is kind of the theme for Sunday's message, is the cost and the, um, the calling and the results of what happens when God calls us to confront other people in their sin. Amos, Amos sees it, obviously, with himself. Amaziah wants him out. John the Baptist was only speaking truth to Herod, and, it, and, it, all that, and what did he get for his efforts? He ended up getting his head lopped off. Okay. And there's a... There's a I, I, I read in a commentary... Today, there's a lot more backstory between Herod and his brother Philip and Herodias and his niece that danced before him and everything. And I couldn't even keep up with all of the weird intermarital, interfamily relations. It was, it was messed up. What, <laughs> what happened to Philip? I'm sorry. What? Oh, I just wanted to know what happened to Philip. Did Herod have him killed? Or That's a great question. Um, What did the commentary say? Philip Philip had died at this at this point, and I don't remember what happened to him. I okay. I have a hunch that Herod had something to do with it though, but I can't I can't remember what it was. I should have brought my commentary. Okay, what about this text? Jumps out, or something that was said that you had a question on. Hmm. Well, 
and verse 20. Herod was, mine says, Herod was disturbed whenever mm -hmm. he talked to John, but even so, he liked to talk to him, he liked to listen to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that there's something about John that, that Herod likes. And, well, the only thing that we can surmise that John talked about was Christ. And is it possible that King Herod had a certain amount of faith? Probably. Because he, he liked listening to John. And, well, John really only talked about Christ. I mean, unless they talked about what was their favorite bugs because John liked to eat locusts. But... So Herod probably had a certain amount of faith, but he, his, he, he allowed his sinfulness to get the better of him time and time again. Was this about 30 years after uh, Christ's birth? Probably. If it's the same because Herod, at this point, be, yeah, because at this point, Jesus has begun his ministry, and he began his, his, his ministry about age 30, about, so yeah. Mm -hmm. In today's world, you know, people do a lot of crazy things to mm -hmm. each other. Never have I heard a hit on a platter. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It gets pretty harsh back then as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, no doubt about it, they just do it. Well, and and the the obviously the hate that had been stored up in Herodias's heart against John was enormous, and and then we don't really hear anything about about them again. We don't really hear a whole lot about Herod anymore. We certainly don't hear a whole lot about Herodias anymore. We have that happening today, though, in the Middle East. Yep. Where missionaries are beheaded, their heads are put on stakes, or put on mm -hmm. display, put in, put on TV. Yep. Mm -hmm. See the heads. So it's, mm -hmm. it's the same yep. thing is happening. Yep. It's a fear of the gospel. I think. Or fear all of all one or the other. All because they are bringing, and all because they are bringing the truth and they believe in it. What is it about confronting people in their sin that is so difficult for us? We don't like rejection. Okay. Being rejected by the by the people yeah, after we do it. They okay. Don't, they don't. They're rejecting the message. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think more brings us to look at ourselves. Yeah, sin it in mm -hmm. me, so it's hard for me to mm -hmm. the old log in the speck. And, and also, we've, we've been brought up in our generation, I think everybody here, that everybody's opinion is valid, everybody mm -hmm. has their right to do whatever, so it's right. hard to confront and say you're wrong. Mm -hmm. There is no, we've been brought up that there is no wrong or right, it's what your perception is. Yeah. And when well, you bring it's... up the harsh wrong or right, you look at yourself, and you condemn yourself as well as when you're talking to, so that's different. The difficulty is, is especially with people who know at least a little bit about Scripture, is that when they are confronted in their sin, oftentimes you will, the immediate next response that the person who is doing the confronting gets is, well, take the log out of your own eye. Well, that's true, but that's also sort of taking Scripture out of context, too. 
Now, if we go up to people holier than thou and say, you know what, um, you've got to stop this or you are doing this and that's wrong, I would never do anything like that, blah, blah, blah. Well, then that's obviously the wrong way to go about it. But if we go to people, whether it's family, friends, um, people that, that we work with and say, you know, what you're doing is wrong and you know, somehow acknowledging your own sinfulness in that conversation as well, you still might get to take the log out of your own eye, but at, but at least you've, you've, you've done what Scripture calls us to do. And not just to, and, and, and sometimes I think that calling the, let's see, the calling people out in their sin and confronting them in their, in their sin, that can take different forms. Part of it is just speaking the truth to them, what the truth about what God, how we are to live as God's people. That's good for you to hear as a Christian, and it's obviously also good for that person who you are confronting to hear as, as, as well. I think, it's, I think it's hard for us to confront people in their sin because, well, we don't... I do not know of a single person who likes it when people are upset at them. I don't know of a single person, and if you say that, I think you're lying. Nobody likes it. We don't. We don't like it when people are upset at us. We we lose sleep. Um, we don't eat, or we just you know sort of have this cloud hanging over us. And yet, God sent Amos and as well as the other prophets to speak the truth. And yet, God sends John the Baptist to prepare the way for. The Messiah's coming, and so what we're going to be talking about in this sermon is what that looks like for us as Christians. Okay, what else in Mark in Mark six? I read a, I read a book in the seventies. Was titled "Still Christians versus Lions mm -hmm. in the Corporate Arena," mm -hmm. and while you don't get people physically killed for their faith, mm -hmm. it's very clear and evident that a Christian in a large corporation makes people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. they had a movie. Well, and, and, and that happens in the corporate world yeah. today. Yeah. Not, they don't physically take your head off the right. platter, but mm -hmm. just. Well, and, and, and if it's not take the log out, out of your own eye, it's you're intolerant. Mm -hmm. Right? And so there's a difference be between not being tolerant of sin and not loving people. And I think sometimes, and it, admittedly so, um, Christians have not done a very good job of, of that. And I think that's where we sort of get the label of, well, um, you are just intolerant of how I choose to live or what I choose to do. 
Okay. Anything else on Mark 6? Heavy stuff here. Uh, we'll be talking about it on Sunday, too. All right. And a little bit early, but that's okay. Uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you throughout the rest of this week and weekend, and Lord, Lord willing, I'll see everybody on Sunday. Thanks also to those who listened online. Have a blessed evening.